Welcome back, creeps. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Weekly Creep. This is us. Yes, I am Adam. This is Dulce. And we're going to tell you some ghost stories today. Yes. Our patron of the week this week is Danica. Thank you, Danica. Yes. Thank you very, very much. Was that too loud? I don't think so. Uh, Danica has been a supporter like fucking since day one, I feel like. She's always reaching out to us and stuff like that. So we appreciate you. Yeah. We appreciate all our patrons, obviously, but, you know. We, this, she's the one for the week. Yeah, she's the one this week. So happy Danica week. All right. Anyway, I'm going to jump straight into this because this one is girthy. Yeah. And it's pretty fucking interesting. So a few weeks ago, I got a message from one of our listeners, which we always love, as you all know. Um, but at the end of this message, he was like, I have this PDF of a book that's no longer in print. It's a first-hand account of a haunting that happened in the 80s in Belfast, as he put it, written by the fire on tea himself, which means the man of the house. Oh, okay. So obviously I was like, yes, send me this fucking book. And uh, he did. So anyway, I'd just like to thank David for sending me this because it is a doozy. And it's also really hard to find now. So yay, we're special. Yes, we are special. Uh, I'm going to start off by just reading the first page because it literally just goes like boom, straight into the action after this first page. Friday, the 2nd of June, 1989. We lived in 91 Beachmount for about four years before being driven from the house. There were seven of us, me, my wife Greta, and our children. John, our eldest, was 16 when the occurrences started. Mark was the second child at 15. Paul was next, and the two youngest were Gerard and Joanne. Greta and I had been married for 17 years. The house itself was just like any other house. A terrace council house with four bedrooms, two of them downstairs. It had a bathroom and a separate WC upstairs, which is like just a room for a toilet. Okay. Which is not that common these days. What does WC stand for? Uh, water closet. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's why I was so worried about like having the name of the podcast as Weekly Creep. Uh... I only thought of it later. I was like, ah, oh, I can't use that. <laughs> You'd still see it on like uh, builder's drawings and stuff when they're like labeling rooms. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, it had a bathroom and a separate WC upstairs and a large back garden with a few apple trees. We didn't have a front garden, and so the front door opened out right onto the street. The house was probably built around 1972. We had met the previous tenants because our previous house was only about 50 yards away. We lived in that house for about 10 years until the advent of our daughter Joanne made us realize that she would need a bedroom of her own. I'm telling you this to let you know that what descended on us came straight out of the blue. As far as we were concerned, the house had no history of anything odd happening in it. The previous tenants were well known to us. They were nice people, certainly not the sort to have given the house any kind of weird history. The house was set in a sort of cul-de-sac, faced by a large square. There wasn't much through traffic, so it was ideal for the kids to play in. Things had been happening in our home for almost two years, but we had never paid them much attention. Things such as lights and television going on and off by themselves, 
footsteps heard by my son John on the landing in the dead of the night, or shadows, or the shadows that my wife and I had seen passing certain doorways, both upstairs and downstairs. The first we had always put down to faulty sockets or something of that nature. The second was easily explained away as the house settling down for the night. The last was ignored as just our imagination or a trick of the eye. Things took a frightening twist on the 2nd of June 1989. It was a Friday, one we shall never forget. It was the Feast of the Sacred Heart and we decided that we should go to Mass in the evening. We had been going to Mass regularly every Sunday for at least a year and we had even started to pray for an hour every Wednesday at the Chapel of Adoration. Later on we decided to get in a few cans of beer for Greta and myself. We also chose some videotapes, family viewing that we could all enjoy. The night went well, the kids enjoyed the tapes, and around 11.30 they began to get ready for bed. They were all settled by midnight, not sleeping perhaps, but quiet. It was a normal evening, there was no atmosphere to suggest what was to happen, nothing seemed to miss, but I was soon to step into a waking nightmare, a living hell that would haunt me and my family for months to come. So that to me just sounds like such a nice evening. (laughs) Few cans of beer for mom and dad, and tapes from probably Blockbuster or Extravision or something like that. Yeah. So around 12.30, about an hour after the kids go to bed, John goes upstairs to use the loo. As he was walking out of the bathroom and heading back downstairs, he catches a glimpse of a woman. Although he was kind of shocked, he just talked himself out of it. Must be tired, the light in the shadows, usual business. He quickly goes back down to Greta and doesn't even mention it, forgets all about it. A little while later, he goes back up to check the faucets in the bathroom. Apparently the kids had a habit of leaving one of them trickling all night, so this was just his normal nightly routine. The brief vision that he had had earlier in the night was completely forgotten. He's in the bathroom, making sure the faucets are off, when suddenly the bathroom door slams shut behind him and the lights go out. John said he literally didn't even have time to react. He just stood there in shock. The lights start to flash on and off and the temperature in the room plummets. John still just stood there in shock when he feels this presence. Quote, I could feel some kind of presence, an experience I'd never felt before. Every sense in my body told me that there was somebody else in the bathroom. Every sense, that is, except the sense of sight. There was nobody there. I could see my own breath in the freezing atmosphere. Small as the bathroom was, I got the sensation that something was prowling around me. This seems to have tipped him over the edge, and he just starts shouting for help. Literally still stuck in the same spot, just shaking. He hears his son John, described as very big and strong. So there's Daddy John and Son John. He's outside the bathroom trying to get the door open, and he's shouting back to his dad saying, like, what the fuck is going on? But it's useless. When suddenly the door just opens all on its own. John runs out and by now everyone is there on the landing or coming up the stairs. Greta is coming up the stairs to see what the fuck is all this commotion is about. Greta gets about halfway up the stairs shouting when suddenly she just stops in her tracks as she feels this horrible cold presence. She's frozen in shock for a second and then runs to the rest of the family and they all hide in one of the bedrooms. Hmm. John is trying to figure A, what the fuck is going on, and B, what the fuck is he going to do? 
All these thoughts running through his head. It's the middle of the night. They don't have a phone in the house. They don't have a car. And they can't just plant themselves at a neighbor's door saying that the house is scary. (laughs) John says, it was the isolation that got to me the most. How do you go about dealing with a problem of, of this sort? If you go to a doctor, he's likely to think you're mad. Most people have no time for the supernatural. It's fine on TV or in a film, but in real life, no way. Or in a podcast. Or in a podcast, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they had them back then. But yeah, so I like that. The, this sense of isolation that accompanies like almost all of these hauntings that we cover. They bring the kids down to the living room. They set up camp for the evening as they're all understandably quite upset and worked up over what just happened. Eventually, the kids settle down and even John and Greta lie down, like, if not to go to sleep, at least to pretend to go to sleep so as the kids can, like, relax a little bit. As John's lying there, he's suddenly grabbed by some unseen force around the neck and thrown into the fireplace. He hits his head, like, hard on the... The the old fireplaces that we used to have were just made out of brick. Uh Brick or marble. And so he's sitting there completely stunned. Greta jumps up in fright and the kids all start screaming again. (laughs) John manages to get to his feet and he turns on the light to try and calm them all down. But when he does this, they can all see their breath in front of their face. Mm. So that doesn't help at all. The force of that. Yeah, right. So thrown by your neck, thrown by the neck. And (laughs) you're going to like this is consistent throughout this whole fucking story. Like thrown by the neck. Well, yeah, like that just seems to be where this thing grabs him by. What an asshole. But like that level of physical activity. Suddenly the woman appeared in front of me. I could see her very clearly. It was frightening. She stood there staring at me with very piercing eyes. She was of medium height with dark hair held in some sort of bun at the side of her head. Her dress was black and full length reaching to the floor. The blackness of her dress contrasted strongly with her pale face which looked to be an almost pure white so this because i went back over this chapter and started counting like the kind of individual like appearances that she makes or experiences that they have Mm -hmm. because it it seems to be like short sharp shocks that she she deals like you know what i mean she'll come in throw them against the fireplace then disappear for a few minutes Mm. then comes back shows herself blah 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 so right now we're at Number four already tonight. Mm. This is out of nowhere. John is the only one who can actually see her. Oh, that's strange. Yeah. The woman in black walks towards John and puts her ice cold hand on his shoulder. But when Greta runs to put her arms around him, the woman in black just walks out of the room and up the stairs. Mm. Everyone is losing their shit. And John feels like he needs to try and, you know, maintain some composure for the kids and all that. Mm-hmm. So they all pile into one of the downstairs bedrooms that has a lock on the door. This makes them feel a lot safer. They throw an extra mattress on the ground and just try to go back to sleep. Like, mm-hmm. just try to play it off. As and they're all sleeping together in the same room. Yeah, all seven of them. So John lies there while listening to the kids. And, you know, eventually it sounds like they've all gone, gone off back to sleep. How? I don't have a fucking clue. Mm-hmm. But as he's lying there, he's getting his hair pulled by some invisible force, mm-hmm. like hard. And he even gets a couple of slaps across the face. Jesus. It's like when the thing realizes that, it's, that John's not reacting, 
and starts hitting him to try and like goad him into some sort of reaction. Get a rise out of him. Yeah. But he just didn't want to scare the kids again. Yeah. And eventually the thing just went away. Yeah. After a while of lying there, not being able to sleep, John decides he's going to get up and turn off the lights in the living room. I feel like the, this was something that was like lost by our generation. This is like something that you used to do when you got tapes on a Friday evening. Like he mentions in the book, he's like, I don't think this was just worrying about wasting the electricity. This was like a safety thing. And my grandparents still do this every night. They go around the house and unplug everything. Oh, I see. (laughs) So this was his concern. Mm -hmm. I just thought it, it just reminded me of my granny and granddad, basically. Anyway, he gets up to go outside and he just whispers to Greta to let her know what he's doing. The second eldest son, Mark, hears him and gets up to go out with him. Apparently, Mark was just, he had like a natural fearlessness to him. Yeah. Like in any situation. And this, he just treated like any regular situation. I want to be like Mark. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> or at least have someone like Mark nearby. Ah, uh, yeah. Back in the living room. Mark starts turning off the lamps and John just kind of plonks himself on the sofa. I think just trying to still take it all in. Like He says, Then I realized that there was somebody else in the room with us. At the other end of the sofa was the woman again. I couldn't move. I called to Mark, Can you see anything on the sofa? He stared at where the woman sat and said he could see a sort of a mist beside me. I sat for a moment. Wondering whether I should run or just sit tight. When all of a sudden she got up and walked to the door. I got up to follow her just in case she was going into the bedroom where Greta was. But when I got to the hall she was walking up the stairs. Just like a real, solid, normal person. I could see and hear her feet on the carpet. And her hand was on the handrail. She walked to the top of the stairs. Reached the landing and passed out of sight. So Mark and John... Just go back to bed. Yeah. They're like, fuck I mean, What this. are you going to do? Yeah. And John just tells Greta everything's fine. All the lights are off. And then he spends the rest of the night sort of fighting sleep. Like he's in and out of, of a light sleep. The woman in black shows up one more time very early in the morning, just standing over Paul, the middle child. That's all. She just stood there for a while and then just casually walked back out of the room again. Mm. So by my count, that's seven separate occasions throughout this first night from absolutely nothing than like half noticed, easily explainable occurrences over the last four years to this seemingly out of the blue. Yeah. The next morning, they're all obviously like, you know, exhausted and really fucking on edge and jumpy. Yeah. The kids all just have a quick breakfast, get dressed and then get the fuck out. Because believe it or not, that's what children used to be able to do. They would just go out and play all day. But they weren't fucking around this time. Like, they just gunned it. Yeah. John and Greta decided to keep this whole thing just to themselves. They were like, maybe it was just a once-off thing. Like, who fucking knows? But either way, who's going to believe such a batshit crazy story, you know? Mm. But they never said this to the kids. And word spread pretty fast. Oh, so the kids were out spreading the word? Yeah. Oh. And I don't think the kids were necessarily believed right away. But five kids all telling the exact same story, I guess, piqued the other parents' interest. And neighbors soon started calling into number 91. 
So before noon, these other parents were calling around just oh, being wow. like, what is like, like what? what's the crack? Yeah. <laughs> what fucking videos did you rent last night? <laughs> so once John and Greta confirmed everything that the kids had been saying, like the curiosity soon turned to like genuine concern. And someone recommended that they like, you know, go and call the priest mm-hmm. from uh, I think the local parish was called St. Paul's. So they arranged for the priest to come over later on that day and just bless the house. The general feel of the house had been marred by the experiences of the night before. I think, like, they were just so on edge, like, just waiting for the next thing to happen. The house that had once been filled with the noise of the family joking and siblings arguing and that was now just cold, dark, and quiet all of a sudden. John's eldest brother calls around that afternoon for a cup of tea, and we'll soon learn that this house must have a fucking revolving door. Because people just come in and out of this house nonstop mm. for the whole fucking story. And again, like that reminds me of growing up with my grandparents, like people who didn't necessarily have a phone mm-hmm. would just show up at your door just to see how you're doing. Mm. And you would naturally invite them in. I'll oh, come in and have a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So that's how our house was growing up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially on the weekends. But now it just seems so fucking like alien, you know? No, I don't know. <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> we never had shit like that no oh no. maybe it's just an irish thing then. i think so we live in houston no one's friendly and everyone's on edge it's true so anyway they're sitting around the, the living room or the kitchen or something and they're all, they're just talking to john's brother about whatever like his kid had just made his, his holy communion and all that and eventually they just come out and like it sounds like it just kind of fell out of them like they had to get this off their chest and they tell him exactly what happened the night before. <laughs> and John's brother, like, just about shits himself. He goes pale and he just gets up and leaves. And he never set foot back in the house. <laughs> so around 6.30 that evening, the priest calls around to bless the house. Mm-hmm. Quote, he was short and stocky with a round face. He was very smartly turned out, but he gave the appearance of not wanting to be in the house. I didn't know him personally as he was new to the parish. He came into the living room and I told him of our experience. He had no explanation for what might have happened and made no pretense of how effective he might be. He blessed the downstairs room and then it was time to go upstairs. On his way up, he paused on the third stair and made no move to go any higher. Instead, he just threw the holy water up over the banister. (laughs) I could tell by this and the speed with which he vanished out the door that he was scared. So the priest was fucking useless. That's a first. Yeah. But the kids seem to be settled down just by the fact that, oh, well, the man came and fixed it. Ah, yeah. You know? So John just kind of like let it go. John was invited over to his cousin's house, which was right across the road. Okay. So this, this whole community is like social housing. Hmm. And it's very much like if you grew up here, odds are you're going to get rehoused very close by, like, and okay. they keep all the families together. So as far as I know, that's still how it, like, is today. Mm-hmm. So they literally seem to know every single one of their fucking neighbors, like, they either went to school with them or they're related to them or something. Anyway, John's cousin is called Ta. All right. Ta and Margaret, they were all very close friends, and they just lived right across the, the road. 
So John and Greta were invited over for the evening and they were hesitant at first to leave the kids, but the kids now calmed by the priests, mm-hmm. you know, effort. Yeah. They were like, no, 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 go on over. Like, which are weird grand. We're sitting here watching the telly. And I think they were, again, just like, look, that was a one-time thing. It's never going to happen again. So they come back home around 11.30 that night, accompanied by Ta and Margaret's son and his girlfriend, who these were just being nosy. Like, they just wanted to see if they could feel anything in the house. And the book is, like, full of really nice little sayings and expressions. Probably just more so for me, because I'm like, ah, I remember, like, a teacher said that. Yeah. So, like, when they got home that evening, they found the kids in fine fettle. The fuck does that mean? (laughs) I don't know. That might even be a misprint, but basically the kids were all happy as pigs and shit, like, going around the house. Everything was back to normal. And everyone just sat around chatting to Taz's son and girlfriend. And John gets up to go and use the loo again. He goes upstairs. He's not even thinking about anything last night. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is just a natural... Yeah, because everything's back to normal. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, quote, suddenly a strange feeling came over me. It started to get very cold and goose pimples came up all over me. The woman in black was there. She said, get out, get out. I didn't know if she meant out of the house or out of the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) But to my horror, she was standing in front of me. I said that really weird horror. Yeah. I ran out of the bathroom, but to get downstairs, I had to pass around the landing. Whether it was my fear that paralyzed me or whether it was her power, I don't know. But I couldn't bring myself to pass her. I just stood there in a daze. Meanwhile, she had me transfixed with her piercing gaze. He's just standing there with his dick out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure his (laughs) dick and balls were back inside. The expression on her face terrified me. I knew from that expression that her intentions were not good. Better put your dick away. Put that dick away. I I just, I'm surprised that it was the expression on her face that gave him that impression. Yeah. Not the fact that she slammed his head into a fireplace the night before. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I thought we were cool until that moment where she looked at me like she hated me. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe she just doesn't like dicks. Maybe, maybe. Fucking hate the sight of them. (laughs) So John calls for Greta. And when Greta gets up to the landing, they both just kneel down and start praying. Greta already had her rosary beads in her hand and John grabs a hold of them with her. He wasn't the only one with this idea, however. There was a third hand holding the beads. Between John and Greta's hand was the woman's hand. Fucking hell, Max. Max just opened the door. Scared, don't say. (laughs) Someone handed John a bottle of holy water. This is not uncommon. Like, if you walk into probably my house, definitely either of my grandparents' houses, there will be a bottle of holy water somewhere nearby. Like, at all times, usually by the front door. Interesting. Yeah, it's just a Catholic thing, I think. Okay. So anyway, so So that means your Granny Fox doesn't have that? Probably not. Mm. Because she's a Protestant. (laughs) (laughs) She's one of those. Um... Anyway, someone hands him a bottle of water and John fucks it all over the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why she doesn't like him. Yeah, he keeps fucking drowning me. Um, (laughs) He throws shit at me and he shows me his dick. (laughs) (laughs) So now 
remember, he's still the only one who can actually see her. The woman just stares John down with that look of anger and holy water dripping down her face, seemingly indifferent of it. But then after a couple of seconds, she just disappears. Now, is that a couple of seconds or sections? Did I say sections? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Seconds. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> but they're all, everyone now, like Taz's son and girlfriend, the kids, Greta, they're all just stood there on the landing, just trying to understand what they had just witnessed. Yeah. They had seen John throwing the holy water, mm-hmm. but it just seemed to vanish midair. Wild. Yeah. And when John checked the carpet, the carpet was bone dry. So this actually made him feel better. Yeah. Because. Other people are seeing this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it made him feel like he wasn't maybe. Crazy. Wasn't losing his mind. Yeah. Yeah. So a little while later, they're all back down in the living room. Taz's son and girlfriend have gone. But another friend calls in. Kathy. Must be like one or two in the morning at this point. I think the rule was if the light's on, you can come in. Interesting. Yeah. Kathy had heard what had happened the night before. Again, only the night before. Yeah. Like this, this is how fucking new they all are to this. And she wanted to give them, keep them company and see if there's anything she could do for them. So as they're all sitting there, the cold starts to creep into the room again. Mm. And John said that already by now, he knows that this is like her warning that the Some woman is coming. Some shit's going to come yeah. So then she appears in the living room and made to sit down beside John on the sofa. He even told Greta and Kathy to move up and give her some room. He described her sitting down beside him as feeling like just a regular person, like her leg touched his leg and all that, but that this like fierce cold just emanated from her. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. So Kathy tried talking to her. Fucking Kathy. <laughs> but... She couldn't actually see her. They all just knew where she was because of how like strong this cold fucking feeling was. Yeah. But anyway, she just ignored Kathy's questions. And so Kathy told John to ask for her. Hmm. Kathy suggested that I should ask her first of all, are you a lost soul? The woman stared at me, stern faced, and then shook her head. I told Kathy the reply was no. Ask if she needs prayers, said Kathy. The reply was the same. Another stern shake of the head. Then, out of the blue, Kathy started shouting at her. You're evil. What are you doing here tormenting these people? They never did you any harm. Wow. Yeah. Kathy's a real one. Fucking calm down, Kathy. <laughs> this outburst. She's like, not a lot of soul. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I only deal with lost souls. Excuse you. Um, but yeah, believe it or not, this outburst angered the creature. She lunged at me and banged my head off the wall. All I could see were stars. I couldn't believe her strength. I was just like paper in her hands. Kathy shouted. Go away and leave these people alone. The woman in black ignored her. She closed in on me, gripping my neck to give her a better purchase as she repeatedly banged my head off the wall. Jeez. Her attack was like a fit. Her grip was so powerful and unexpected that I really thought I was going to die. The only thing that stopped her was Greta. She grabbed me and held herself in front of me so the woman couldn't get to me. The woman drew back, 
her hold on me broken for a moment. Then she turned with a look of sheer rage on her face and stalked out of the living room, and I was left almost unconscious. And again, this is how it goes from here on out. So we soon learned that like Greta is the only thing that stops her. Yeah, that's interesting. So they stayed up all that night, but the woman didn't return. I don't know whether the kids were actually still up or if they had already gone to bed at this point or what. But by now, two nights had gone by and Jen and Greta, Jen, John and Greta had gotten next to no sleep and it was already getting to them. They felt like they were constantly being watched in the house. They also felt like this thing had reached like a whole new level. The fact that it had actually put its hands on the rosary beads showed that it wasn't afraid of these religious items. Yeah. John's sister calls in that afternoon and advises them to go to a local monastery and talk to a father O'Donnell saying, he's faced this sort of thing before. (laughs) (laughs) So they drive over in the sister's car, meet with Father O'Donnell, who straight off the bat appears totally different to to the first priest. He's older, he's wearing like worn clothes and stuff like, although he's well kept, you can tell that he's a little bit more priestly, I guess, you know? Okay. I guess he, he just fit the bill a little bit better for, for John. Mm-hmm. He listens to their story. And although he comes, does come across as very skeptical, I think he actually says, I find this very hard to believe. Yeah. But John thinks in hindsight, he was actually just trying to play it down. Mm. So as not to give any more power over to whatever it was. Yeah. He agreed to go over to the house, but wanted to bless them both personally first in the monastery okay john said that the blessing itself in the monastery was actually pretty frightening like something you would see in a movie you know father o'donnell comes out and all this fucking all the gear yeah you know and uh i had a quick look i think it might have been the prayer to saint michael or something along those lines makes sense because that can come across as pretty fucking like gnarly it's all about you know casting satan out and all well yeah he's He's like the main one. That's yeah. The He's main the protector. Boy. Yep. That's my boy. <laughs> That's my boy, Saint Michael. They then mosey on over the blessed house. Yeah. John was actually afraid of what was about to happen in case it only angered this creature, as he put it, this woman. When they pulled onto the street, they were greeted by a crowd of onlookers, which they were not happy about. They were so embarrassed, like just by all this. And I feel like I can relate in a lot. Again, going back to the whole Irish thing, like a lot of Irish families can be like very quiet about their business. They don't want anyone getting involved. And oh, don't let him know that he's depressed. Like, you know what I mean? Over like the smallest things. So this thing is pretty fucking major, like already. And now you could say they were scarlet. They were scarlet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So now Father O'Donnell shows up with them. And of course, everyone's like, oh, my God. Yeah. A priest is going into the house again. Run and go tell Mary. Yeah. Priest is here. Run down to Mary and get her to phone Catherine. I'm after seeing a priest going into the skillet's house. (laughs) Um, So Father O'Donnell starts off in the living room and he goes all the way through the house, sprinkling holy water and saying blessings, the usual. This time, John really felt a lot more confident. He, He felt like, no, this guy actually knows what he's doing and 
Father O'Donnell just seemed like a genuinely nice guy. And so I'm sure that fucking helped. When he was finished, he told John, I don't think you'll have any more problems, but let me know how things get on. Just like that. Just like that. Take one of these and call me in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, Father O'Donnell has some great fucking quotes further one-liners. on down. Good one-liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, we'll get them. We'll get them. <laughs> they still had like this looming fear of what that night would bring. You yeah, know, naturally. naturally. Weird. Jinx. <laughs> Soon after Father O'Donnell had left, Greta's nephew, Daniel, calls in. And Greta starts telling him what they're what they've gone through the last couple of days. Mm. Daniel just backs out the front door and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, he don't, he tells her he'll be back later with his wife, uh, Sandra, uh, and they're gonna they'll keep them company for the evening. Oh, okay. I thought he was just like, and they never saw him <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> no, and again, I was telling Dulce this yesterday when when I was doing these notes. I really refrain from naming every single fucking character in this. There's so many. There's so many. And each character has their own like fucking little paragraph of like, now, John, I knew John from way back in the school. <laughs> and what he did was, and it's like, he, he loved to play the organ. So he did. And he was a great big man. So I've cut all that out. <laughs> so this is like really fucking, um, what's the word? Condensed. Yeah. The, a really condensed version. Uh, oh, by the way, the name of the book is number 91, A Belfast Ghost Story. <laughs> Just think, God, I forgot to mention that. I was so excited. Later that night, they're all sitting in the living room, again, chatting and stuff, when Danny suddenly jumps up and tells the two younger kids, like, come on, we go back to my house and check on Danny Jr. Interesting. Yeah, out of nowhere. So everyone was kind of surprised by this, but literally as soon as the door closed, the woman showed up. Hmm. Father O'Donnell had uh, had instructed them just to ignore her presence. And when Sandra saw John start to panic, she told him to do just that. But he was completely like transfixed by her stare. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a glass on the table flew off and just missed Sandra's head. The woman's way of telling Sandra to shut up. Then the woman grabbed me and banged my head off the radiator a few times. Jeez. Mark ran to my assistance but he received a punch in the head that sent him flying. Greta and Sandra put their arms around me to keep the woman off. Only then did she turn and walk out of the room. She was away for only a few minutes. When she returned, she approached me once again. I jumped and ran for the front door out of pure fright because I knew what she was going to do. When I got to the door, it wouldn't open. It was jammed solid. Sandra came up behind me and she tried her strength against it. It was a horrible feeling, for she had us trapped. A simple figure that appeared and disappeared would have been possible to put up with. But this was more than just a simple haunting of a house. This was a powerful entity who resented our presence. After a few seconds, the door opened and the three of us were able to get out into the street, where we stood catching our breath for a few minutes. We peered back into the house, but there was no more activity. Luckily, the gathering of sightseers who had been there earlier had drifted away. It doesn't mention what happened to poor Mark, mm. the son, who got punched in the head. Yeah. And then the three adults ran out of the house. Mm-hmm. So anyway. We're going to assume that he ran out too. Seeing as he just got punched in the head by an invisible Yeah, horse. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they just left him in there and they're like, fuck you. 
Anyway. See ya, Mark. <laughs> John becomes determined that this thing won't take his house from him and his family, but they, they are utterly powerless against it so far. Mm-hmm. Danny shows up again after all this and explained that he just had this feeling, like a premonition that he just had to get the kids out of there as quick as possible. An hour later, the woman shows back up again. It's almost routine now. Her presence is preceded by cold and then a feeling of dread and anxiety. She starts hitting John again. Everyone gathers around him to protect him. But it's now that they only realize or that they realize that only Greta can actually stop her from hurting him. Anytime Greta puts her arm around John, the woman would just storm off. This reminds me a little bit of the demon of Brownsville. Mm-hmm. Because remember when the priest told the couple in that story, like, don't stop with the, the rumpy bumpy because like that shows the entity that, you know, your bond is still strong. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck are you saying, Adam? <laughs> oh, sorry. The rumpy pumpy. Don't stop doing it. Because if the presence knows, if the entity knows that you've stopped making love, <laughs> then um, it feels like you it's doing its job. Making love. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like if it feels like it's getting between you, it's going to feel like it's winning. Whereas yeah. if you just keep going, that the bond of love will stop it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, got it. What did you call it again? Rumpy Pumpy. <laughs> <laughs> And you said it so naturally, like, <laughs> duh, this is what it's called. This is a children's show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop fucking. <laughs> Danny and Sandra stayed with them all night, and they managed to get little naps in here and there. But this was now night three with, like, no real sleep at all, you know? Yeah. So Monday night rolls around, and Greta's family show up. She had called them earlier in the day and filled them in on the weekend that they'd enjoyed. So 14 of them show up. Plus John, plus Greta and the kids. That makes 21 of them now. All crammed into this house. Everyone was in good spirits. Pardon the pun. With one of <laughs> Greta's sisters even saying, where's this ghost? I'll sort her out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. For about an hour, they all sat talking. John and Greta answering all the questions when suddenly... The temperature drops. Mm. Some of the family start to complain about the cold. And John's like, this is it. I'm fucking telling you, she's coming. Yeah. John's like, this isn't even the bad part. <laughs> yeah. They're, oh, they're complaining. You don't even know. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's cold. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, shut up. She's about to <laughs> fuck me up. Jesus. <laughs> Quote, then she walked straight into the room. Not even this crowd of visitors daunted her. She paused to look about the room, taking in all the faces. For a moment, a flicker of curiosity crossed her face. The first expression other than anger that I'd seen there. She came up to me and then began to go through her ritual of staring at me with her piercing dark eyes. Anne thought she could feel the woman's dress as it brushed past her. I know it did. I saw it happen. Whoa. So she stood there staring at John and as soon as she starts coming closer... He calls out for help, and four or five people all jump around him. This causes the woman to just march out in frustration, and every single person in the room this time had like sensed her in one way, one way or another. They had all felt the cold, 
Some had felt her pass by, like Anne, brushing them with her dress, but Anne had been wearing a cross on a chain around her neck, and it was just pulled clean off. Whoa. Yeah. Now... When? Like, as she passed her? I, that's what I was just about to say. I don't know. I don't think John saw her do it mm. or anything, but the chain was no longer around her neck. One of Greta's nieces had brought along a beautiful wooden cross. We brought it out and sat it on the unit. I'm going to interrupt here. The unit is just wherever the TV goes. Okay. Or maybe like some other random piece of furniture in the living room. Whatever the TV sitting on. Yeah, it's Got the it. unit. Got it. It doesn't have to be with the TV on it. It's just, you know, like a, like a Davenport. <laughs> or like, you know, like those random pieces, like fucking cupboards and shit that are in people's houses. Like a... It's just a unit. All right. Like a TV stand? Yeah, but like, you know, the way other people might not necessarily have a... Like the TV might be in the corner and then they have like this other piece of furniture with like drawers and stuff. Like a bureau, maybe. Okay. We just call it the unit. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to get so heated. (laughs) (laughs) Never question a man's unit because then he gets frustrated (laughs) and angry. So anyway, we brought it out and sat it on the unit with some holy candles left by Father O'Donnell, along with instructions to use them if necessary. Greta and Danny went into our bedroom to light a candle facing the sacred heart picture. Each time they lit it, the flame was blown out again. Meanwhile, the bedroom had grown cold, and the atmosphere of hovering darkness made it a very oppressive place to be. In the end, they got the candle lit, but Danny was frightened by it, and afterwards he was jumpy. Danny later confided in me that it was as if the woman had been standing over his shoulder. Every time he lit a match, a light breeze would make it flicker and go out. Eventually, everyone settled down, and they even turned the telly on for the first time since Friday, which... Like, just gave a whole sense of, like, normalcy Mm. that they had lost. John's friend Tony arrived, and the kids had all gone to bed. But then, after the appearance of the woman, they all came back down. And, like, safety numbers and all that. Yeah. So, that particular number this time is now 22 people. Yeah. All crammed into this one living room. Because Tony Calzone came. Because Tony Calzone down the road, yeah. Fella who owned the chipper. Uh... (laughs) Only the Irish ones are going to get that. (laughs) John needs to use the bathroom, which must just be like such a horrible feeling by now. The WC. To have to piss, yeah. But not being able to go and piss in your own bathroom. Yeah. You know, out of fear. Yes, because she hates dicks. I probably would have just pissed in the back garden. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. Anyway, his friend Tony and son Mark escort him to the jacks and they wait outside in the landing. When John has done his business, he comes out to find the two lads examining cold spots on the landing. The cold spots were like moving around of their own accord. John couldn't see anything, which made him even more on edge because this meant now that the woman was able to show and hide herself whenever she felt like it. And he was like, why the fuck is she hiding right now? But I think like up until this point, he just assumed he could see her whenever she was around. You know what I mean? Like, if he couldn't see her, she was no longer there. John stayed close to the others as they explored this latest phenomenon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> as they reached the door to, the, to, one of the bat, to one of the bedrooms, something grabbed John and threw him over the banister onto the stairs below. Jeez. 
As he lay there stunned, he felt a cloud of coldness come from downstairs. Whatever it was lifted his legs up in the air and dragged him down the rest of the way, bouncing his head off every step along the way. The people in the living room had come running into the hall just to see what was happening. And they all stood around John, screaming and shouting. Amongst the crowd, John, still stunned, could see the woman walking around trying to get to him, but she couldn't get through all these people. Interesting. She was forced to retreat back up the stairs. Mm. Some of Greta's sisters like saw sense and grabbed all the kids and piled them into their cars and just pissed off. All while John was still lying on the floor. Like That's how quickly they were just like, this is it. Grabbed his kids. Who who grabbed his kids? His like sister and his sister's oh, in law. Okay, okay. Next came the sound of someone like dancing or jumping around upstairs on the landing. Mm-hmm. And John said he could hear her screaming, "Get out! Get out!" over and over and over. I don't know if he was the only one who could hear her or not, but they could all hear the footsteps anyway. Yeah. John was brought back into the living room and laid out on the couch. He felt genuine fear for his life at this point. He only had a few minutes respite, however, as she soon walked back into the room, just looking proud of herself. She grabbed at John, who was now cornered on the couch, slapping at him over and over again. This time, John shouts desperately, Have you not done enough already? When one of Greta's sisters grabs a cross and pushes it against John, the woman was taken aback for a second. She then lifted John off the couch and fucked him across the room. He managed to get back to his feet again, only for the woman to start slapping the shit out of him again. Like she is relentless. She just fucking hates John. He tries in vain to hit her back, but to everyone else, he just looks absolutely batshit, just throwing punches at nothing. The woman seems pleased at this, almost mocking him, and again turns and walks out. So, again, remember what I was saying? It's like she comes. She does a deed and she walks back out again. Very calmly. Yeah. John calls her a bastard, grabs the wooden cross off the unit and chases after her. Halfway up the stairs, she turns and takes John by the arm, gets the cross off of him and then, with ease, just pushes him back down the stairs. John jumps back up and just stands there, frozen, with the woman looking at him smugly. She then drops the cross stands on it, throws her head back and laughs at him. Greta and her sisters went to run up the stairs, but John said, quote, The women pursued her to the top of the stairs, but they weren't chasing her. This woman never ran. She just walked at a leisurely pace, yet it was still fast enough for her to be one step ahead of them. So like, no matter what her speed was, yeah. it was still just this creepy fucking, like, stroll. Yeah. And again, and I'm going to say this every time, this is only day three, right? And they've already gone through all of this shit. So now it's Tuesday. This all happened on a Friday or started happening on Friday. John and Greta are showing what four days of not eating or sleeping properly will do to a person. Fuck, dude. All this shit in such a short amount of time. Yeah. So suddenly. So suddenly. The house is just feels like a fucking mess. Neither of them are functioning properly at all. To make matters worse, the woman is now making her presence known throughout the day. Just little things like brushing past them every now and then or turning things on and off. 
apparently any time Greta attempted to hoover, it would just fuck with it. Like, Greta would go to turn it on, and she would turn it off. She'd go back, and it would turn on. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The doors were just randomly opening and closing, and they just felt like they were trapped in a in a nightmare. Yeah. They reached out to Father O'Donnell again, and for whatever reason, the only visitors who came to the house this evening were men. I think it was all Greta's sister's husband, or yeah, Greta's sister's husbands and brothers or something like that. Mm -hmm. And John said, Greta, you go on and spend the night at your sister's house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she puts up a fight, but she goes eventually. But John feels like actual grief at her going away. Like he knows that she's the only thing that actually keeps him safe. Yeah. He just doesn't want her to have to go through this again. Why doesn't he just go with her? Well, I think at this point they don't know if that would help. No, I mean, like, at the very least, as to get a break, to get sleep. To That's just... what I'm saying. Like, at this point, they don't know if it's the house or if it's John. But they haven't tried it yet. No, they haven't yet. But by now, the, like, nightly crowd outside, like, on the street, yeah. had grown to around 200 people. Oh, shit. I thought you were going to say it dwindled. No, no. Opposite. And it's obviously. Opposite day. Yeah. So actually, I think our listener, David, might have been in this crowd. Oh. He certainly said in one of the messages that he remembers seeing the crowd. I yeah. don't know whether he was involved or not. But anyway, obviously, the local press got wind of it and they started showing up as well. One photographer even like just walked straight up to the door, knocked and was like, can I come in? <laughs> uh, John just said like no. That. Yeah. Surprisingly, John said no. They let every other fucking person in. <laughs> no, we, we draw the line you. of photographers. <laughs> And naturally, when they saw Father O'Donnell showing up again, this didn't fucking help the situation. Right. The overall atmosphere that night, though, seemed like it was just a few men sitting around, drinking beer, being men with other <laughs> men. <laughs> Good quality time with men. Um, they were all like talking and joking amongst themselves. But she hated that because she hates dicks. Well, the woman never showed up. Oh. All night. Uh, so strange yeah so the temperature dropped a few times yeah. and they thought she was going to make an appearance and she never did hmm. they did say a few prayers like that was father o'donnell's like main reason to be there i guess yeah but around 4 a.m father o'donnell cleared off and then not long after that john left to go and spend the rest of the night with or the morning i guess with greta at her sister's house oh okay they returned later it's wednesday now sorry i know i keep for my own sake, this is what I keep like, okay, this is the time. Yeah. This is what's happening. So now it's Wednesday morning. They come back to the house. And all day, people are just calling in constantly. Like really nice, you know, like bottles of holy water, prayer cards, tea and sambos, or just keeping them company. Yeah. Just a really nice community of like neighbors and friends. Love a good sambo. Absolutely. So, yeah, everyone who calls in seemed genuinely concerned, but rumors had started circulating. Of As course. Yeah. Quote, one rumor accused us of using a Ouija board. Another one said we had let the IRA use our house for punishment beatings, etc. The most hurtful one was that I was supposed to have beaten Greta and that this woman was beating me as a sort of psychic revenge. The fuck? I know, right? It got that we couldn't even go to the door to get air. There were people staring or coming up and asking all kinds of questions. Remember, th this house opens straight onto the street. 
Like yeah. there's no driveway or, or front garden or anything. Some people asked me if I minded whether they started reciting the rosary outside my house. I agreed to it as I thought that anything might help. Yeah. My house was set in a cul-de-sac. The area facing it was a meeting point for the local youth who gathered there on the summer evenings. They never gave any trouble but would sit and share a joke among themselves. Now, though, they weren't to be seen and I'd heard that some people were even afraid to walk past my house. Again, that just rang true with me because when we were kids, we used to hang out at the end of a cul de sac. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty big deal if the kids stop coming around. Some neighbors stayed all night to keep them company and only left, left around 4 a.m. I think, you know, when the sun started coming up. Greta's niece and her husband slept in John and Greta's room while John and Greta slept in their daughter's room. The woman in black hadn't attacked them since Monday night, Tuesday morning. And I guess they were starting to feel like maybe. Father O'Donnell's presence had actually helped this time. When John and Greta woke up, however, John was lying across the bedroom door and they both had like really bad sore throats. Weird, I know, but I'm wondering, did they literally just sleep through the attack because they were so tired? Like, Mm. were their bodies so tired that even this fucking ghost couldn't wake them up anymore? Um. Or was this intentionally some sort of weird fucking sleep attack <laughs> it, i mean it, you could say that because they weren't sleeping well your immune system could get compromised well that's my next point with the sore throats yeah yeah that but john being like laid out across the bedroom door oh yeah 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 it could be but yeah and yeah like that that is my next thing because they're not sleeping and they're not eating properly their immune system was probably fucked greta's niece and her husband had left like to go to work or something. They didn't run out or anything. And then there was also a news team at the door, like camera, journalists, the whole shebang, which they just ignored. Again, they didn't want all this fucking like publicity. Right. Father O'Donnell called in to check up on them again later on that day. And John told him that she hadn't showed up in two whole days. And he was like, oh, this is great. Like she hasn't showed up. He was not telling him what happened that morning. Mm-hmm. when. Greta just like suddenly burst. Father O'Donnell sat on the edge of her bed and tried to console her, explaining to her what he thought it was going on. He said, what would you do if a woman on the street tried to have an affair with your husband? Strange question. Greta replied, I'd kill her. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. Father O'Donnell said, well, that's what you're going to have to do to this thing in in your house. Fight it. Not quite what Greta said, but anyway. As I explained to Father O'Donnell that the house had been quiet for two nights in a row, Greta suddenly burst out crying. She shouted, she was in the room while we were sleeping. Father O'Donnell said, if she was in here and you were asleep, how do you know? Greta showed him the red marks on her throat. When I woke up, Father, I had a terrible sore throat, and John was lying on the floor as if she'd been throwing him about in his sleep. She then said something that really got to me. Father, it's getting that I'm afraid to sleep in the same bed as John. So now I'm actually unsure about the sore throats. Like, was she choking them? Like, because she has, they have red marks on the, I don't know. It's not very clear. No. Father O'Donnell then goes on to make the point that he thinks that, like, the family have been chosen, or John and Greta have been chosen to do this. Like, he says, his actual quote was, you should feel honored because you have turned a lot of people back to their prayers. 
like meaning the group of people that are gathering yeah. outside to say prayers and stuff outside the south. John's not impressed by this. He's like, fuck them. I don't yeah. care. Like, I don't want this this position or, or whatever. Yeah. And so Thursday evening, Danny and Sandra show up. Danny is Greta's ne- nephew. They have to fight their way through the crowd of people on the street now. And the four of them sat having a chat when two of John's old, like, barfly friends call in. Apparently, John used to be a bartender, and these two people knew him. But these two just showed up. They were already drunk and just being nosy and just, mm. you know what I mean? So he takes them into the kitchen away from the others. And about half an hour later, he hears Sandra calling for him in panic. He quickly gets rid of his two friends and goes into the living room. And I have to read this next bit as well because like these scenes were like hard to break down because so much just mm-hmm. kind of fucking happened. When I opened the living room door, I saw to my horror that the woman in black was standing over Greta. Although Greta couldn't see her, she could sense her presence. I glanced at Danny and he was sitting there as white as a sheet. I began to run to Greta, but the front door was knocked again. Danny jumped to his feet and ran to open it as I reached Greta. The woman stepped back a few feet, but she made it clear that she wasn't going away. She glared at me with real menace in her eyes. I knew someone was going to get it, and all I could hope for was that it would be me and not Greta. Danny returned from answering the door to usher in Greta's other nephew, Brian. He had his two mates with him, Eddie and Paul. As soon as Eddie saw Greta and me, he ran towards us, for he could tell that there was something wrong. The woman was still standing over Greta. She looked so angry that I feared for Greta's safety. As Eddie came towards us, to my utter horror, he walked right into the woman. As soon as he passed into her, he stopped. He stood there, shaking violently and breathing as if he was having a fit. Paul, meanwhile, plunged so abruptly into the midst of this madness, could only stand and gape. I lifted a bottle of holy water and threw it over the woman. This soaked Eddie, and I put my arms around Greta. She was shaking and weeping, alarmed by the presence that, that hovered so close. The woman drew back her face working terribly as if in the grip of an awful rage. When she saw my defiant stare, she turned and made her way to the hall. Then their friend Kathy arrives. Kathy's back. Kathy's back. Just after all this went down, poor old Eddie is just standing there, sopping wet in holy water in shock. Shaking. Yeah. He said it felt like he was, had just walked into a fridge. He'd never experienced anything like it before. He felt like he was paralyzed. Kathy had called over because her cousin had given her a gold holy medal on the chain for protection mm-hmm. to give to the family on whatever. Then Kevin knocks at the door, mm. right? Kevin's a Protestant. Kevin's a Protestant. <laughs> He's another good friend of John's. So that makes nine people now. As soon as they're all settled in the living room, the woman walks in. She takes a look at everyone and then goes for John. John hides behind Kevin, the Protestant. But she takes him by the leg and John manages to grab hold of the couch. I'm doing all these actions for Dulce. Nobody else can see this. John manages to grab hold of the couch, but it does no good. The woman pulls him to the ground and he takes Kevin, the Protestant, with him. (laughs) (laughs) She stood over him laughing and then walked back out of the room. The two lads are still lying on the floor when two of Greta's friends call in revolving fucking front door 
just to hear what's been going on. <laughs> Meanwhile, Eddie, who had walked through the ghost, runs out of the house and he goes to call Father O'Donnell. See, like, the cool thing about this story that is incredibly different than the others that we've heard when it comes to hauntings is that sh- whatever this thing is, is unsuccessful at isolating him from the community. Yeah, like, to be honest, this sounds like the type of community I would love to. I would love to have the complaint of too many people calling to the door. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? But anyway, poor old Eddie fucking legs it. Yeah. And he goes to one of the neighbors. He goes to call Father O'Donnell. He's just having a terrible night. About half an hour later, some random unknown neighbor calls in and he's like, yeah, Father O'Donnell was sick and he can't make it. So, they, of course, they invite him in. So come on in. Come on in. <laughs> it's down there. Woman haunting us. So he sits down in the living room and like to give them the message like, oh, yeah, you know, I got a call back from the monastery. Uh, Father O'Donnell's sick. I wonder and if then, he's like, I don't want to fucking be here, but I don't want to be rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I, better go, I better go in and have a cup of tea. Right. <laughs> Did you know Kevin's a Protestant? <laughs> <laughs> when in walks the woman, she grabs John by the neck and starts banging his head against the wall. Kevin goes to help and the two of them get fucked over the sofa. Jeez. The randomer says something along the lines of, Jesus. I didn't think the rumors were true, but this, this is bad. <laughs> when hey, all of a sudden there's a thanks, knock at the door. Yeah. What'd you say your name was? I'm just busy getting fucked over the couch. <laughs> that all... really adds to the fucking conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thought you were pointing that out. <laughs> Who even asked you? Anyway, then there's another knock at the door and it's Father O'Donnell. So he walks in, he's like, hey. I was just lying in bed thinking of his, and I thought I'd better come over. The fuck? Yeah, he says he got no message. What? Yeah. They don't go into detail about this. This is one annoying thing about this book. Like, a lot of details, like, a lot of things he goes way into detail, and then other things just kind of breezes over. Weird. Maybe it's because he wasn't that big into ghosts. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So smaller things like that, people who listen to this every fucking week might be like, I wonder why this happened. Anyway. So either he genuinely just got this feeling and Eddie just called some random fucking monastery and then this random fucking neighbor got a call off some other unknown entity. Or I'm thinking maybe Father O'Donnell just wanted to seem really cool. (laughs) Like he actually did get the message and he was like, call them back and tell them I can't make it. And then I'm going to show up. And I'm going to make an entrance. Uh, yeah, I am going to make an entrance. <laughs> oh, you called? I didn't know. I had a feeling. I just... <laughs> priest's intuition, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> the woman comes back in again. So like that, it's, it's kind of like a fucking play, the way she just enters and leaves like this. Yeah. And this time, John hides behind Father O'Donnell and mm. began crying like a little baby. Mm-hmm. His words, not mine. Oh, I was thinking harsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Father O'Donnell takes out his crucifix and starts to pray, warding her off, but she just keeps walking until it, it looks to John like she just hits a force field. Mm. And she kind of stands there confused and fucking angry for a minute and then just storms out. 
And Father O'Donnell says, Right, someone give me a lift back to the monastery. I'm sorting this shit out. Nobody leaves this room until I come back. Interesting. That's not a direct quote, but this next one is, as he leaves, he drops this badass line. There's no doubt in my mind that this house is haunted by something. Just what? I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care to know either. So now... Again, adds nothing to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, but it adds everything to Father O'Donnell's character. I, like, you know, I'm picturing him with like an eye patch and like a big scar. <laughs> and, and a shit. peg leg. <laughs> 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 Get me back to the seven seas. <laughs> yeah, the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he returns back like shortly after. The monastery seems pretty close. Uh, he comes back and he says a full mass in the living room. And Kevin, because Kevin's a Protestant, he's all like, I'm a Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> and Father Adana's like, shut up and put this in your mouth. <laughs> so now, not but today, he, you're not. <laughs> yeah, he literally says, for John and Greta's sake, just take the communion. Oh. And he's like, that's fine. I just wanted you to know that I'm a Protestant. But anyway, everyone takes communion and Father O'Donnell hangs around till the sun comes up. And they say that even though the mass like definitely seemed to lighten the atmosphere in the house, it more or less just felt like the woman had like just retreated for the time being. Like mm-hmm. they could still feel her there. Father O'Donnell returns later that day looking haggard. But again, like none of them had slept. So and this guy's like an older guy. Yeah. He tells John and Greta it's time to get out of the house, at least for a while. He says let this house stand empty for a wee while, and maybe it'll lose interest. You know how some things seem to get stronger only because they're resisted? Maybe that's what will happen here. Again, I don't know for sure, but I certainly think it's the safest course of action. All right. Yeah, I'm going all in on this action movie priest now. And the funny thing is that wasn't O'Donnell speaking. It was the parrot on his shoulder. <laughs> Polly. <laughs> father Polly to you <laughs> um, he's just handing out communion wafers with his beak <laughs> so in, in fairness to John and Greta <laughs> they, they like really feel like they've just lost everything mm. like they feel so like just desperate and helpless the, I bet yeah like the kids have already been split up like not just from them but like the respective family members that took them, like, only had room for, like, one kid or two kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? And their extended family were afraid to take them in because, in case this thing followed them. Yeah. Ta and Margaret, across the road, like, came over and they were like, you're going to stay with us. That's it and all about it. So, the day goes on as regular, with all different people calling in, and then a fella by the name of Mickey Bradley calls in, right? Okay. Mickey and John went to school together. All right. Yep. Didn't need to know that. <laughs> but thanks for telling me. Yeah. Mickey described an incident that occurred over a year before. One night, as he and his wife were preparing for bed, his wife saw an apparition. Mickey went on to describe in detail things that made my skin prickle. It was the woman in black right down to the last detail. What the fuck? Mickey lived only 200 yards away from me at the time of this incident. They moved out immediately after this, and Mickey was glad to hear that I was planning to go too. So he lived in that apartment before? 
No, he lived 200 yards down the road and had this same apparition. Weird. Yeah. So apparently someone along the way had mentioned, like, maybe it's not the house that's haunted. Maybe it's the ground that the house is built on. Okay. That was actually haunted. So then that kind of made sense once Mickey said, I had this exact same thing happen to me. Yeah. Like two football fields away. Yeah. During the course of the evening, the woman in black appeared in the living room, but there were no beatings or anything like that. I got the impression that she had come to enjoy her victory. She knew that we were leaving and she had won. She touched some of the visitors, including my sisters. She walked up close to them so that they could feel the cold emanations of her presence. When that happened, they hastily rose and left, vowing to never set foot in the house again. So that was the last night they spent in the house. Um, I don't know why they did, like why they didn't just leave. I think they were like trying to, you know, pack up suitcases and that for the kids. Mm -hmm. And then they left. Uh, the following morning, a neighbor calls in to Tat and Margaret's house. Another neighbor mm -hmm. <laughs> called in to say there's some people coming from Mount Mellory, which I think I'm pronouncing that right, was like an abbey. So just a holy place, I, fucking, yeah. I think. I don't really know. Okay. But either way, they were supposed to be very holy and they were able to bless other people or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so came Karen and two ladies from Mount Mellory. They came just to have a chat and see what the house felt like. So they were still in like number 91. But while they were in the house, they got John to tell them like everything that had already happened. But they found that they couldn't seem to communicate with John. Like they would start to say something and just stop halfway. Or if they did say something, John would be really like snippy with them. Hmm. So after a while, they were like, something is blocking us in this house. They checked all over the house. They noticed that the presence was like isolated in the living room where John was. So they asked John to go and stand outside, which he said like made him feel like a dope. But he did it. and. They concluded that the presence wasn't attached to him, just the house. Okay. They then asked if they could go back over to the other neighbor's house to finish having this conversation because like, there was something blocking them from this. Uh-huh. So they did. And on the way over to the neighbor's house, one of the women turns to John and says, I had a very strange experience in your house, Mr. Skillen. Oh, what sort of experience? She hesitated. I'd rather not say. I don't think you're in quite the right frame of mind to hear about it. That's a big comfort, I said. Once we settled in Bernie's house, they found that they were able to talk. Karen said, From the feelings that we get in the house, Mr. Skillen, we can sense that your wife will go through a very hard time in the future. I sat forward, immediately concerned. A hard time? What does that mean? Can you not tell me any more? We can't really be any more specific, but she will suffer from ordinary people, but most of all, from her friends. The fuck? Yeah, like, talk about fucking ominous. Whoa. They told John that leaving the house was 100% the right thing to do uh, for him and for his family. And they left that night. The kids stayed in Danny and Sandra's house, all except for the eldest lad, John, who was staying with a friend. And then John and Greta stayed in Ta and Margaret's. Good of Ta and Margaret. Yeah. They tried to impose as little as possible, but obviously this was like going to be hard to do. There were right. small houses and they were all squeezed in. Mm -hmm. I remember Danny and Sandra also had their own kid. Mm. But yeah, anyway, staying out of their way was like a really hard thing to do. They said, 
We rose each morning, took a cup of tea in Margaret's, and then made our way up the street to Danny's house, where our two youngest children were staying. Oh, sorry, so only two of the younger children. Sometimes we would sit there for a while, and then we would take a walk over to our old house and sit on the steps outside. We rarely ventured inside. Some of our neighbours made us tea, and we would sit and talk for hours, just trying to get our day in. Our older children would drop by, and we used to send out for hamburgers. People would make us cups of tea. It was the only way we could feed them. I felt that we were a terrible imposition on people. Not only were our kids sleeping in their houses, but they were being fed by them as well. Mm. My whole thing was, thank God this happened in June. Yeah. <laughs> and not in the middle of winter. The kids just seemed totally lost. Like, I think at one point he said they were like orphans going around. Yeah, yeah. You know, but they had made up their mind. Like the kids themselves had made up their mind. They were not going back in that house. Right. And this was to be the way for like weeks to come. Mm. This is what they would do. They would walk down to like the local leisure center and like sit in the grass having picnics, trying to make, trying to keep the kids occupied and stuff, you know. Yeah, just gain back some sort of normalcy. Yeah. The next door neighbors told John that even though they had left the house, it was still very active and it was keeping them awake. Weird. Yeah. In the house, lights would go on and off. Doors would be slammed open and shut. People would see shadows in the windows and some people claimed to hear voices coming from the house, although they couldn't actually hear what the voices were saying. Yeah. Which is almost creepier than... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this, like, the door slamming and all, this was going on all night. Mm. A group of about 20 people would gather every night to say the rosary until around 2 a.m. And they'd made a little altar outside, but something kept making the candles go out. Obviously, this is an outside altar, so I was like, the wind. But they said, like, it would happen so spontaneously, like, there, nobody would feel wind and the candles would be going yeah. good and healthy. And then all of a sudden, they just mm-hmm. die out slowly. So the neighbors had asked John to ask Father O'Donnell to say another mass in the house. And he agreed, but he says he'll only do it in the hallway with the front door open. Like, Father O'Donnell is afraid of this thing now. Yeah. And he tells John, some say that it could... Oh, wait. What was his accent again? Some say that it could be a poltergeist. Others talk of something evil, partaking not of mortal nature at all. But you know, of course, that we're not allowed to admit such things to the public. I'm afraid all I can do is support you as you come to terms with your new predicament. Father O'Donnell doesn't sound Irish at all. No, he's not. He's an action hero like uh, (laughs) Charles Bronson or... (laughs) You know, maybe I could have pushed for like a Sean Connery or something, but I don't know. A man of not that many voices. (laughs) So anyway, the following Tuesday rolls around and it's time for mass. There was a crowd of about 300 people gathered on the street, including John's own family who were too afraid to go near the house. Greta's family went in with them like they weren't happy about it, but they went inside like to show their support. John, as the story, as the book is being told, John is very bitter over their family's reactions. Like their kids aren't staying with their direct aunts and uncles. They're like staying with like second cousins and friends and stuff like that. He and he isn't shy about it in the book. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to dwell on it as much as he did. Yeah. But I will make it known that he basically never forgave his family for how they acted. So he had. A, a refresh my memory he stayed had the kids stay with 
Danny and and Danny and Sandra, who were Greta's nephew and his wife. Right. So he had him stay with them because the rest of his family were I, acting like dicks. Yeah, I think like they tucked him in for a night or two, and then they had to find him somewhere else to go. Basically. So while Father O'Donnell is getting ready in the house, John is helping him out, kind of like being his altar boy, I guess. And Father O'Donnell told John that he actually had to ask permission from the local parish to perform this mass because I guess it was out of his jurisdiction or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, not like with the rules of the church. (laughs) Not like, oh, yeah. Of course. Um, But yeah, they basically just said, yeah, fucking your problem now. Yeah, they wanted absolutely nothing (laughs) to do with it. Again, John was very angry with this, like considering how the first priest handled the situation at all. Mm -hmm. And John also tells Father O'Donnell that he's been suffering from like the worst fucking nightmares, waking up sweating and heart racing and all that. But I think that's fairly normal. Like, I don't think that was necessarily a, a paranormal thing. I think it was like a PTSD thing. Yeah, but I mean, like, he f- probably felt like he had to tell him just in case. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. The crowd that had gathered, like the two or three hundred people, they had a, a whip around for John and Greta. The fuck is that? Like, uh, like a, a collection, like everybody oh. gave some money. Whip um, around. Don't be whipping around these terms like I know what they mean. I just assumed that was a global <laughs> thing. Uh, they did it for John and Greta because, like, same as like when a, a family loses their house in a fire or something horrible like that, like they are now homeless and they need all the help that they can get. I think yeah. the community saw it in the same way. Well, yeah, I mean, technically they are. Mm-hmm. But John and Greta, I don't think they took offense. So I think they were too prideful to take it. They did, however, donate it to Father O'Donnell. For all his efforts that he put in. So I thought that was nice. Interesting choice. Yeah. The mass was pretty quiet. Again, similar to the Demon of Brownsville Road story. Whatever entity this was, it just seemed to hide away anytime the mass, the actual ritual of mass was going on. Yeah. Not to say that it was done with or anything. John went on to say, When Father O'Donnell left, I was glad to join the gathering. It was time to lock up and leave. Despite the recent mass, the house still had an atmosphere. I had the sensation of being watched, although I didn't mention this to anybody. They were nervous enough as it was. If I had come out and said this, there would have been a stampede for the door. In fact, because I was always the target of the woman's attacks, I knew that everyone kept an eye on me. If they saw me looking scared, then they knew that the woman was approaching. I was like an early warning system for them. The day after the mass, John and Greta get in touch with a housing executive to try and get rehoused somewhere else. Because remember, this is social housing. So they just call up like the council or whoever, local government, and say, we need a new house. And then they try and organize it. Yeah. So the guy recognizes them from the last time when they needed a bigger house and yeah. they moved with Joanne. And he basically comments and he's like, his boat looks so different. Like, what, what's happened? And so they tell him everything. He doesn't believe a word of it. Or he can't believe it. Like, maybe personally he believes it, but professionally he can't. Yeah, he can't use that as a reason. Yeah, so he was like, well, I don't have any forms for houses haunted by evil lady ghosts, but maybe you could apply for a transfer on medical grounds, such as stress. Hmm. But 
They would need letters from social workers, doctors, and also Father O'Donnell would have to write in detailing what he had done. But Father O'Donnell was kind of a rogue at this stage. Like he wasn't seeking special permission for uh, like exorcisms or anything like that. He was, as far as he was concerned, he was just performing a mass mm -hmm. in a house. Like kind of giving the last rites to a, a, an old sick person or something like that. They had decided that they didn't even want the stuff that they had left in the house. Mm. It had all been tainted by the woman because they would walk into the house occasionally and everything, like all the clothes would have been ripped out of the drawers and scattered all over. The kids were afraid to touch it. Yeah, yeah. They just, they wanted nothing to do with it. 17 years, I think, they had been married and they said like, fuck it, we don't want any of it. Yeah. We'll just start afresh. Around this, I think on the same day, maybe the day after, a local radio station reaches out to John and this time they agree to do the interview because they feel like this might uh, put pressure on the housing people and kind of give them some sort of validation. Like, you know, look, there it is. We're talking about it in public now. They recorded it and the interview was played the next day on the local radio show. The radio didn't try and like make them out to be liars or anything like that. They just played the interview. That was it. Within a few minutes, a woman by the name of Sheila St. Clair called in and gave her number and said, if you want any advice or help, feel free to call out or feel free to get in touch with me. So Greta does. And Sheila told her that it's the right thing to stay away from the house. She was worried that this thing would only get more violent if they kept pushing it. Even to go as far as to say these things can light like fucking spontaneous fires and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it could fucking bitch slap you yeah yeah so she knew a psychic medium and like a little team that would go around and deal with things like this who might be able to help but this medium was something else too he was a protestant oh my god <laughs> no he was actually a protestant minister but greta was like you know what We've tried everything else under the sun. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's try the Protestant. <laughs> so Greta agreed to go and meet them, like desperate for any sort of help. But John didn't go with her. He was afraid of what the, any psychic or medium might see like attached to him. Yeah. So Greta and two friends like Margaret from the house and, and another friend go and meet this group in a Baptist meeting hall one evening. For the purposes of the book. John named the psychic Cecil. Okay. Cecil the psychic. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I read this, it gave me a giggle. Um, anyway, Cecil picks up on two spirits attached to Greta. Are they good ones? He says, there are two people, one on each side of you, protecting you. When he told her a name, Greta recognized it. The name was Morris Buckley. And the only person of that name that Greta had ever known was a man she used to run messages for almost 30 years before. Greta had not seen him since she was a child, and she knew that he was now dead and buried. The other was Frank McCabe, her sister Anne's brother-in-law. He had died in England a few years previously. The link with him was so tenuous that Greta was sure that if she were to meet him on the street, she would never have recognised him. And Cecil was able to tell her all these details. So that like straight away gave Cecil all this like validation. As far as she was concerned, this lad is the fucking real deal. Like how um, would anybody know such like 
strange relations, like yeah, or strange Random connections. Yeah, and then and Cecil says, "Look, we'll come over to the house next Thursday at ten o'clock at night." And when Greta gets home, she tells John this, and neither of them want to go back to the house. So Ta speaks up, and he's like, "I'll go. Like I know where the house is. I can show them. It's fine. I don't mind." So Thursday comes around, and they call into the next door neighbors, John and Greta do. Just to let them know that tonight, if you hear noises, it's actual people. Yeah. Like, we're sending in a team and hopefully, like, you know, they can help, blah, blah, blah. But the neighbors tell them that the noises in the house are only getting worse. Like, as time goes on, this thing seems to be getting more violent and, like, just worse. It's also at this point that they realize that the electricity to the house has actually been shut off. I think, I don't know if it's in every council house, but in a lot of council houses, you have, like, it's a pay meter. So you would put coins in and it would give you, say, an hour or two worth of electricity. So you would keep paying it. That's so weird. Yeah, it's so as people didn't run into debt like with yeah. their bills. It's still a, a done thing today, except now you have a card. Okay. Anyway, so they point out that, like, there's nobody living in there. We haven't been feeding the meter, so the electricity's off. And yet this woman is still turning lights on and off That's online. Wild. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm just running up your fucking bill. Yeah, well, that's what they're like. Who the fuck is paying for this? <laughs> She's putting like, I'm little... putting my ghost coins in <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. Running up this meter. Ghost pennies. Uh, the neighbor is also convinced that the woman is evil. Oh, clearly. Uh, that's it. And I, all about I it. I would have to concur. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So later that night, Cecil and co meet John and Greta in Danny and Sandra's house. Cecil and Co. Cecil and Co. <laughs> Before they embark on this little fucking adventure, whatever you want to call it. Now, John feels that Cecil picks up his fear. Mm-hmm. And so he just doesn't say anything spooky pertaining to John. You know what I mean? He just tells, like, tell us what you've experienced now. But he doesn't say, oh, I see your granny standing over here. And, like yeah, that, yeah. You know? and then Ta went on over to the house with them. They get into the house. They light a load of candles because there's no electricity. And they sit down in the living room, just waiting to see what they see. So it's Ta, Cecil and Co. Yeah, I think Cecil and three ladies, at least two ladies, maybe. uh, I don't know if that Sheila lady went with them. So after about an hour, they just start to hear a baby crying upstairs. Yeah. Cecil made sure to wait until every one of them heard it clearly before going to investigate. As they were walking upstairs, Cecil, as they were walking up the stairs, Cecil says he encountered some sort of psychic barrier that prevented him from passing the third or fourth step. He said he just said his prayers and he felt either him getting stronger or the thing getting weaker and he was able to pass through. I did think this was interesting though because that's that's as far as that little bitch priest from the start of the story, he stopped on the third stair and just threw the holy water up. Mm. Now, out of fear, but yeah, maybe there was also something blocking him like that he didn't know about. When they went into the bedroom that the sound seemed to be coming from, the crying would stop. And this seemed to be just how it went for the whole rest of the night. Like they would go in, it would stop, they would leave, they would hear it start up maybe somewhere else. They'd go to find it. It would stop. Blah, blah, blah. 
John started to make a connection here. Although I thought John wasn't there. No, no, no but they, like as he's being told. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they were relaying that what had gone on to John later. So John makes this connection, and he's like, even though he had never actually experienced this phenomenon before, the barrier. No, the baby crying. Like oh, he had yeah. only ever experienced like poltergeist activity and the woman. Yeah. This baby crying thing was a new business. But John said, one of my neighbors had given us a prayer book. One of the many things brought to the house during the early days of our ordeal. I can't remember now which one of my neighbors gave it in, but it sat on the mantelpiece for a long time. It had the uncanny habit of always being found open at the same page. A page that held a prayer for expectant mothers. At first this had been considered a coincidence, but then it happened time after time. Then people saw it open by itself, and the pages would turn until this prayer was reached. Was this woman trying to tell us something? Had an event occurred on this site, possibly even before this house was built, that involved a woman expecting a baby? He starts to think, okay, maybe something happened to this woman in regards to her baby, and like maybe now that they know this, it can get them that step further, they can actually help. Cecil believes that the woman isn't evil. She's just an angry, upset spirit. And he still wants to help her. Mm-hmm. And he still thinks he can help her. At this point, the whole family is just worn out, fed up with this whole situation. And one evening, John just reaches breaking point. I think it's the very next night, which would be, I think, either two or three weeks after the initial incident he decides he's going back to the house and he's gonna fuck shit up he's gonna get rid of this woman once and for all ta reluctantly agrees to go with him and greta says they're not going anywhere without her again they call into the neighbor and just let him know in case he hears anything strange stranger than usual it's just them they're going in to get rid of this woman and the neighbor says sure i'll go too and here's my two sons. <laughs> I fucking love the neighbors. Man. Yeah, oh, they're great. So now there's six of them in this house reclamation party. Safety in numbers again, right? Because that's always proved them right in the past. They go inside and the door shuts behind them. They light candles and they sit in the living room smoking and just chatting. And they say, feels fine. Like literally, they don't. It feels like whatever was there has gone already. Maybe this time Cecil's thing worked, right? John says, wouldn't it be great if she was finally gone? There's none of that sensation of cold, even though the house has been empty for weeks. Everything was calm. Barney reached forward to the ashtray to stub out his cigarette. Suddenly, I knew she had come back. She had merely been waiting her chance to get at me. Before I could dodge, she grabbed me by the side of my head and smashed me off the wall. It took the others a few seconds before they were able to put their arms around me and get her away. My head was spinning from the pain. I could see only blackness. As the pain of her blows faded, my sight returned in time to see her walk back out into the hall. This was just the opening of hostilities. It was her way of letting me know that she was far from finished with me. She paused and looked back into the room, as if deciding whether to come back or not. With her blocking this door, there was no means of getting out of the house. 
Suddenly, the room was plunged into coldness. She's in the room, I shouted. But she's keeping herself hidden from me. Help me, help me. Barney and Ta cried out. I can feel her coldness. She's passing this way. Greta shouted. She's just swept right. (laughs) Barney's two sons grabbed hold of me, placing cushions behind my head for protection. Because her usual target, my head, was barred from her, she grabbed my ankle instead and began to haul me off the sofa. Greta and the others all climbed on top of me in an effort to hold me down. Even so, we began to be dragged towards the door. Five men and a woman. Six people. Yeah. (laughs) And this thing had strength enough to move all of us. As I was dragged towards the door, I thought, Oh God, where is she taking me? The strength of the grip she had on my foot was beyond belief. Her grasp was like a vice. Then, to my relief, she let go. Nobody needed to say anything. They all surrounded me like a rugby scrum and we edged our way out the front door. As we moved, I said, she's standing there, watching us. She knows she's won. She had succeeded in putting us out of our home. So... It seemed that they just needed a little refresher. A little bit of time away from all that chaos seemed to have lulled them into a false sense of security. And this definitely reaffirmed their fear. Yeah. They were like, oh, wait, now I remember. And that's where I'm going to leave it this week. Uh, I don't know how long this episode. Two hours. Yeah, we've been talking for about two hours. So uh, tune in next week, folks, for... The rest of number 91, a Belfast ghost story. <laughs> Yarg. <laughs> so Dulce thinks that this episode is too long. And she's usually right. I want to say like 91% right. That's fair. I was going to go further and say like 99, but <laughs> I'll take 91. That feels like a win for me. <laughs> so maybe next week you'll hear a Dulce story. Yeah. After, but I feel like the next one's gonna be just as long because that's if it's long point. like this one, then I'll just do a story the week after. Okay, it's not a big deal. So, there you go for creeps. <laughs> I have spoken for way too long, and um, yeah, just thanks again to David for sending us in this story because it's fucking it's a belter. And um, join our Patreon, get loads of extra goodies. and postcards and shit like that and follow us on instagram twitter facebook all that shit feel free to reach out to us make sure to still send in your own personal ghost stories because we are doing our titillating tales of true terror every month you can email us if you follow us on itunes please rate and review and if you do fancy watching us like listening to our episodes on youtube make sure to comment and let us know and yeah i think that's it Mm -hmm. Okay, creeps. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the fuck are you laughing at? <laughs> I was going to make a really dumb joke. Like, uh, Danny was now jumpy. And I was going to read the next piece as, Jumpy later confided in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor guy got so scared he changed his name. <laughs> Okay, okay. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Such a bad joke.